I truly believe whole countries, cultures, societies, people in general are being subtly tortured on a mass macro level. That's a wild accusation, I know, but it's one I'm going to try to back up with facts. We are being reshaped and reprogrammed, in my opinion. We don't always realize it, but it's happening. This is the Dangerous Faith Podcast. I'm your host, Nathan Williams. Torture? People are being tortured by the millions and possibly billions? That's quite the charge, I, I, I'm going to admit. Uh, wow, at this point you might be thinking that you need to go grab your tinfoil hat to listen to this idiot. And you're like, oh, why did I do this? Why am I wasting my time here? Stay with me, though. I'm actually going somewhere with this. When I say torture, I don't mean physical torture like waterboarding or death by a thousand cuts. I mean psychological torture like brainwashing. I'm going to give some historical examples, I guess, and then we'll move on to what's happening today. So in the Korean War, sometimes China would capture some American soldiers, and they would torture them psychologically. And one thing they would try is to get them to say over and over and over again just bad things about the United States, bad things about various uh, aspects of this country, and they would say it over and over and over again. And and the thinking was that uh, there's a psychologist who talked about this, uh, the rule of commitment. We don't like saying one thing and doing another if we're aware of it. We like to be consistent. And the thought behind the torture technique was that the more you could say one thing, you would slowly come to believe it yourself. You would slowly start to agree with it due to the psychological rule of commitment. You know, you want to stay consistent. There's this concept of cognitive dissonance. It's another part of brainwashing. Holding two contradictory beliefs at the same time. And it messes with your brain because uh, psychologically we, we use logic and reason and it's tough to do if you're aware of it. Cognitive dissonance is something we all struggle with at times because it's hard to be completely consistent, but through torture that can be twisted to be used as a weapon. And then as always, there's a George Orwell's 1984, his term doublethink, there, there is a country that the main character is from that has uh, these slogans, war is peace, freedom is slavery, ignorance is strength. All of those are opposites. There's that cognitive, cognitive dissonance, if I could speak English. And uh, the, the country in George Orwell's book, 1984, would use that as a weapon because as you're trying to hold two things at the same time, it messes with your brain. It kind of, it, I don't want to say destroys you, but what it does, it kind of deconstructs you to where uh, you don't know quite what to believe. You have to trust someone outside of your 
yourself because you're like, this doesn't make sense. So I'm just going to believe some authority out there because they can tell me how to think what to believe. And so your identity is kind of uh, deconstructed, if you want to put it that way. It's, again, a brainwashing technique. Doublethink in George Orwell's term, cognitive dissonance, uh, the rule of commitment. And then, as always, there's gaslighting, which you may or may not know about. It's a it's a abusive tactic often used by those in relationships to where you make someone think they're crazy. Like, oh, that didn't really happen. Or, oh, I think you misremembered, I misheard. And so you take something that's true and real and all of a sudden people start to doubt it. They're like, am I crazy? Did I really make all of this up or did I imagine this? That's gaslighting. These are all uh, just brainwashing techniques, uh, psychological torture. Uh, There's the remaking of the self through these techniques. You can't trust your senses. You can't trust reality. You don't know what's true. Therefore, like I said before, you need someone greater than you, someone who has it all together, someone who understands all those things. And and typically, there's some tyrannical power uh, power structure. Examples would be cults, governments, sometimes, and this is sad to say, this happens in churches, families, uh, relationships. It can be a really terrible thing. So that's some historical background. I'm going to put forward to you, this is my thesis, my theory, my argument, that there are three ways we are being psychologically tortured in a subtle way now, today, in modern society. And the purpose for all of it, why? It's not just for, uh, I guess, kicks and giggles, uh, to put it that way. But there's something behind it that I want to talk about. The first way we are being tortured is through the forced acceptance of transgender ideology and the rejection of basic biology. So those two things are linked, basic biology and then transgender ideology that people are pushing on us. How so? How is this torture? One fact we know, K-N-O-W, yes, I can spell real good, know from a child, is that there are two sexes. Civilization has been built on this. There are men and there are women. Uh, Sure, there are uh, cultural exceptions you can go through with history, but it was very clear that those were exceptions. And you could go to Greek mythology, probably, and just various other cultures where you might have some other option, whatever it might be, but it was a very small minority, and it was a very clear exception. So this is a fact. We know there are men and women, boys and girls. We know this. But however, uh, through this transgender ideology, that's being questioned. Are there really two sexes? Can we go to biology for this uh, foundational reality principle, really? Can we go there? And so uh, one example of what this does to the mind when transgender ideology is taught, in 2017, children were taught in a California charter school about transgenderism at a very young age. And these children went home crying and confused. Uh, They asked their parents, you know, am I a boy? Am I a girl? Can, can, Can I switch to the other one in the next day? This was terrifying because children know at their core you have a a mom and a dad, you have a 
women and men. It's a basic biological fact. But now we are being taught that basic biology does not matter. Sex, chromosomes, body parts, uh, functionality when it comes to our sexual organs, all of that does not matter. You can be whoever you want to be. You can change all you want. Everything is malleable. Everything is flexible. You decide reality based on how you feel. But as we know, that's not how truth works. How you feel is important, but that doesn't change reality. That doesn't change biology. But through transgender ideology, the attack on biology, all of this is, in my mind a part of subtle psychological torture. We have this cognitive dissonance and it's being thrust upon us. You can't fight it, you can't resist it, or you're transphobic. When people know things to be a fact, but are forced against their logic and reason to accept something so blatantly wrong, this does psychological damage because our brains can't compute. Our brains cannot work with it, and so uh, it eventually leads to something I'll talk about later. The second example I'm going to talk about is language itself, and specifically this is being shown through the ever-evolving language associated with the teaching of LGB period activism. Now, there's a reason why I say LGB, uh, LGB period versus using like the whole acronym LGBTQIIAA plus whatever, however long it is now. There's a reason why I stop at LGB period, but uh, I'll move on. That's a topic for another episode. Anyways, the point is that the language we use is important. It's how we describe reality. It's how we function, how we communicate. Language is supposed to reflect reality. It's supposed to convey truth. However, with radical leftist ideology, language is changing every single day. There are new terms, new things, new uh, pronouns, new this, new that. What was acceptable and tolerant today will be bigoted and ignorant tomorrow. So yesterday, for an example, sexual preference was a perfectly good term to use. Everyone used it. However, now it is bigoted and backwards. Yesterday, talking about objective truth was valued. All right, what is the truth? And let's talk about it. Now, a person's feelings and experiences are the only things we should value. How do you feel? What do you think? If your opinion contradicts my feelings, you must be shut down. Language is constantly being policed. And if you use a term that radical leftists deem wrong in the university, in the media, wherever it might be, you will be destroyed because you are ignorant and your language is violently offensive. So what this does is stoke fear in a society. If I'm constantly afraid of saying the wrong thing, I'm not going to speak. I'm not going to say anything unless it is directly approved by the authorities who know more than me. If I can't speak, I can't resist. If I can't speak, I can't describe reality. I don't have the language to do so. So I stop trusting myself because obviously I'm ignorant and backwards. Only the gatekeepers, whoever they might be, can speak because they know. They have the truth. They can evolve. 
Using language as a weapon silences people into submission. Telling people language is violence is a way to to, to stop violent people in, in their mind because if people are saying things and these things are wrong and hateful and backwards, well, that's violence. So we have to stop them. That's the rationale, really. So that's number two, language. The third way we are being psychologically tortured subtly is through the use of fear and paranoia. These are real-world torture strategies used by governments worldwide to break prisoners. That's what we are being. We are being broken so that we could be remade, rewired, reprogrammed. And so, uh, for example, governments will find out your phobias. And if they were torturing you, if you're a, a prisoner of war or something like that, they can use that against you. Fear and paranoia are also tied, and they play a huge role, in the previous issues we talked about, uh, basic biology and language itself. You can't, I repeat, cannot mess up in a world where people dig through your tweets from 10 years ago to find something offensive. You cannot make a single mistake in a world where people dig through your emails, record your conversations, or straight up make lies about you. People will dox you, which is out, which is giving out your private contact and uh, address information if they don't like you. So if I find out you believe something I don't like, if you gave to a certain political party I don't agree with, well, I'm going to put out your information for all the world to see. I'm going to uh, go to your workplace and demand you get fired. This is the use of fear and paranoia. And what happens as a result of this is that we are rewired to become weak. Don't fight. Don't speak out. If you do, you'll lose your job, your social media accounts that allow you to speak, and more. Uh, Your family will be threatened if you go against the radical leftist establishment. If you don't believe me, ask Kevin Hart. Dave Chappelle, Aziz Ansari, I hope I pronounce his, uh, I hope I pronounce his name correctly, J.K. Rowling, and more about this. You will be hung high as an example to shut up and submit. This isn't just now dealing with the past. This is going to be our future too. God forbid the morality of the culture today, ten years ago, be different. Because you know what's going to happen if if the future is different? They're going to cancel you for all the things you're saying and doing today that are perfectly acceptable. So uh, with transgender ideology, the LGB period language that goes with all those things, if that stuff gets outdated... Ten years from now, they'll look back at what you're saying today, and they're going to come after you. Wow, you were so bigoted in 2021. You should lose your job. So these are examples of psychological torture. And I found a a term for what can happen to people as a result of this as I was researching torture for this episode. And it's called mental death. So uh, I went online and I found this article from uh, Griffith University with uh, two researchers. Uh, They wrote a paper about how trauma from torture can lead to the destruction of a person's identity. Tortured people leave their beliefs behind. They don't trust others and they feel damaged. They're broken, in other words. These are, uh, so that's what the paper was talking about. Now I'm switching to my words. From the mental death that happens as a result of torture, 
I am claiming that people can be rebuilt into something else entirely, depending on the direction the torturer wants you to go. I truly think the masses, in a subtle way, are being psychologically manipulated to be broken so that they can be rebuilt. You can't trust yourself. You can't trust your family because they're backwards and bigoted. Your parents are incapable of educating you. Churches, oh, God forbid you go to churches because they're full of ignorant, homophobic, transphobic nutcases. So don't go to them. So who can you trust? You can trust the government, the school systems that are run by the government, and only certain radical leftist media figures and uh, socialites who dance to the tune of those who are in charge, they can do the thinking for you. Leave it to them. Leave it to them. Follow and obey them. So in my mind, and I want to hear your thoughts, maybe I am crazy, a crazy person, let me know. We are being broken so that we can be rebuilt to be model citizens of the system, never questioning anything and never thinking because, oh my gosh, that is so dangerous. What do you think? I want to know. But anyways, that's my topic for today. I'm going to move on to our devotional. Our devotional comes from Ruth chapter 4. It's the final chapter in Ruth. I have greatly enjoyed this, and I hope you have too. Anyways, Ruth chapter 4. Meanwhile, Boaz went up to the town gate and sat down there just as the guardian redeemer he had mentioned came along. Boaz said, come over here, my friend, and sit down. So he went over and sat down. Boaz took ten of the elders of the town and said, sit here. And they did so. Then he said to the guardian redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from Moab, is selling the piece of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. I thought I should bring the matter to your attention and suggest that you buy it in the presence of these seated here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, do so. But if you will not, tell me so I will know. For no one has the right to do it except you, and I am next in line. I will redeem it he said. Then Boaz said, on the day you buy the land from Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the dead man's widow, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. At this, the guardian redeemer said, then I cannot redeem it because I might endanger my own estate. You redeem it yourself. I cannot do it. Now, in earlier times in Israel, for the redemption and transfer of property to become final, one party took off his sandal and gave it to the other. This was the method of legalizing transactions in Israel. So the guardian redeemer said to Boaz, Buy it yourself, and he removed his sandal. Then Boaz announced to the elders and all the people, Today you are witnesses that I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilion, and Malon. I have also acquired Ruth the Moabite, Malon's widow, as my wife, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property so that his name will not disappear from among his family or from his hometown. Today you are witnesses. Then the elders and all the people at the gate said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the family of Israel. May you have standing in Ephrathah, I don't know if I pronounced that correctly, Ephrathah, whatever, and be famous in Bethlehem. Through the offspring the Lord gives you by this woman, may your family be like that of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. 
When he made love to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. The woman said to Naomi, Praise be to the Lord, who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons, has given him birth. Then Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. The women living there said, Naomi has a son, and they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. This, then, is the family line of Perez. Perez was the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Amminadab, Amminadab the father of Nashon, Nashon the father of Salmon, Salmon the father of Boaz, Boaz the father of Obed, Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David. Amen. All right, there was a quick little genealogy there at the end. So I'm just going to quickly explain what's going on. So before Boaz could marry Ruth, there was someone who was a closer kinsman redeemer, or as the NIV puts it, guardian redeemer. So he had to talk with this man first, Boaz did, before he could then marry Ruth. And so he set it up in an interesting way. He was like, hey, bro, you can get all this land. And the guy was like, wonderful, I'll take it. But then Boaz was like, well, if you take it, you'll also have to marry Ruth so that you can uh, maintain the name of the dead with his property, as verse 5 puts it. At this, the guardian redeemer was like, well, hey, maybe not. I I like the land. I didn't want the woman as well for various reasons. You can probably uh, guess what that might be. You do it. And so Boaz said, okay, I will do that. And so he went, he got the land, he married uh, He married Ruth. And through Ruth, uh, we get Obed, then Jesse, and then David. And if you're familiar with the Bible, you know how important David is. And so that's just a quick summary of what was going on. And so I want to highlight the love of God allowing Ruth to enter the bloodline of Jesus because through David, you get to Jesus and now Ruth is a part of it. And so Ruth as a Gentile, she was a Moabite, shows that God loves everyone, not just select people. And this is a message that as Christians, we need to spread far and wide. Christianity is not a white man's religion. Christianity is not a male religion. It's not a religion of the powerful, the rich, the the this, the that, the other. Christianity is for everyone, no matter your background, no matter your bloodline, Gentile, Jew, uh, whatever the color of your skin, uh, Ruth helps to illustrate that. And I think it's beautiful and it has implications for the racism we see today and all, all the things that we talk about in that area. But uh, yeah, I'm all done with Ruth and I just wanted to talk about Ruth as a whole. It's an important and incredibly beautiful book. I love Ruth. I love the relationship between Ruth and Naomi. I love the faithfulness of Boaz that illustrates the love of Christ. I love how God in this time, it's during the time of the judges, and if you read the book of Judges, it's real rough. But even when it's at its darkest, you see the faithfulness and providence of God, how he takes care of us. And so there's just so much to learn and and to, to worship God over in this book and I think it's beautiful but anyways that's all for Ruth I'll be uh, I guess finding another book for next time I'm gonna pray and then we'll sign off 
Father, thank you for this day, Lord. Thank you for all that you've given us. We are so blessed. Thank you for the book of Ruth, where we can see the faithfulness of and love of Naomi, Ruth, and Boaz, and, and then we get to learn more about the lineage of David. Uh, we It's just such a rich book, Lord. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, friends, I hope you go out into your weekend encouraged, and uh, I guess I'll talk to you later. In case I don't see you, good afternoon. Good evening and good night.